and welcome to The Tax Track, the brand new podcast series from ICAW, where we explore the latest from the tax world and what it means for our members and tax professionals alike. In our very first episode, we'll be looking ahead to what's coming down the line in 2024 and how accountants, businesses and taxpayers can navigate the changes in an election year. If there's a change in government or not, we're still likely to see some sort of fiscal event, I would have thought. The time has come that everybody needs to set themselves up with access to their digital tax account because there are going to be things that need to be done there. I'm Lindsay Wicks, Senior Technical Manager for Tax Policy at ICAW. I'm joined by two colleagues who know more on the subject of tax than most. Caroline Miskin, Senior Technical Manager for Digital Taxation and Frank Haskew, Head of Taxation Strategy. Welcome to you both. Hello. Thank you for having us, Lindsay. The first few days back in the office have been a bit of a whirlwind, haven't they? It's been extremely busy, hasn't it, Caroline, already? We've already had, yeah, even before we got back, we had the announcement of a budget, which I guess does help us all planning our diaries. So, yeah, no, obviously lots going to happen. So this first episode looks ahead to the year in tax for 2024. We've all chosen a topic that we think will define the year. And we're going to talk about those issues and what they might mean for accountants and businesses. My topic is the fact that it's an election year. Caroline, you've chosen HMRC service standards. And Frank, you've chosen regulation. I'll kick off with the broadest topic of discussion. It's an election year. We're not sure when the election will happen, but it'll obviously have an impact on tax, particularly how many budgets we might have, how many finance bills we might have. Um, What are your thoughts on this? I must say, I'm I'm intrigued about um, how many finance acts we might have this year, because um, they're obviously at pace in, in passing the current finance bill, aren't they? And that's going to be passed, I think, in the next month. Are we going to then have another one, do you think? I think Before, we will, yeah. yeah, after the budget, because this finance bill hasn't um, set the income tax, tax or corporation tax rates and their annual taxes, and we need a finance bill to enact those every year. So I think we're, the likelihood is that one week after the budget on the 6th of March, we'll probably have, have another, another finance one. bill. Possibly another after an election. So it could be a busy Finance Act year. Yeah, and certainly not a year with the one fiscal event that we all would all like to see. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Thinking ahead to the budget, there's already a lot of speculation about tax rabbits coming out of the hat. What are your thoughts on this? Well, IHT seems to be the perennial that everybody talks about, the replacing pension reform as being the, the topic that gets discussed at coming up to every fiscal event. I think there has been a slight sense of dampening. I think it's worth people being aware that you know IHT revenues are raising um, and it's kind of a it's almost a straightforward choice between you know income tax and um, and IHT as to where the chancellor decides to to spend whatever headroom he might be able to find and you do wonder whether you know if people were really where that choice was put to people that starkly where they would actually opt <laughs> yeah and the thing that strikes me as well with IHT is complexity because we've seen it with the pension lifetime allowance where scrapping the pensions lifetime allowance has led to 99 pages of new legislation 
And so, you know, is it going to be scrapping IHT for everyone? We've got the 10-year charge for IHT on trust. Would that remain? We're into an election year, aren't we? It's going to be electioneering. So on the face of it, you know, IHT potentially really only affects a small number of people, but grabs a lot of headlines. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think most people would prefer uh, either, you know, the unfreezing of the rate bans and thresholds um, or a reduction in income tax generally. There's certainly scope for reforming IHT. I mean, there's been a lot of good work done by people like the IFS and others. To You know, there, there's certainly room for reform, but it's exactly that sort of thoughtful uh, left change that I don't think we will see in election year with lots of fiscal events and finance acts. And the other rumour has been that he'll do something for first-time buyers. Not obvious what. And we've had, you know, special forms of ISAs. We've had stamp duty, but that just seems to put up the house prices so it's not entire i haven't seen any suggestions as to how he might do that no i mean it's it's a perennial issue now isn't it that sdlt rates are high once upon a time it was just one percent wasn't it on purchases over thirty thousand, but we're a long long way from that with sdlt and um it is a significant cost isn't it and um but as you say it will it just effectively fuel house price inflation at the end of the day doesn't seem to be affecting the market particularly i think as ever we'll have to watch fuel duty i mean the as you know all the assumptions are that the fuel duty hasn't 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 been put up for years i've forgotten how many years now but yet the the forecasts all continue to assume that it will rise in line within with inflation so that's going to make a very significant the decision on that will make a very significant difference to how much scope there is for other changes I suspect. And we spoke before about the fact that we might have an emergency budget after an election. Presumably that could mean some mid-year changes. No matter you know if there's a change in government or not we're still likely to probably see some sort of fiscal event I would have thought um, because you know if it's a new government it would want to make its mark but I suspect you know we'd probably also see if, if you like, from the current government, would want to carry through further things, having had a new mandate. So I think, well, we will have an event. I suspect they will, might not want to call it an emergency budget, possibly. But whatever happens, I think we will see changes coming through, no matter what happens. We have had major changes before, but not very many, really, over the years. I mean, national insurance is the because that's not an annual. It's that one's the easier one to, cha- easier one to change mid-year. Easier payroll people won't like me saying that, but uh, it is easier than income tax. Which I know Gordon in Gordon Brown's era there was a there was a mid-year change, but they, I think that would be really messy. Okay, so for an election year, we think many fiscal events, many finance bills, and it would just be interesting to see where they go with tax policy. which brings us nicely on to Caroline and service standards. Yes, um, service standards were certainly a dominant theme in 2023, and I think it will continue to be in 2024. I mean, as we record, there are significant restrictions on the self-assessment helpline, both for agents and for taxpayers. And HMRC is certainly doubling down on 
trying to achieve what they call channel shift, uh, you know, moving contact from phone and post onto the HMRC's digital services. And I think to some extent, one has some sympathy with them, limited, but we have some, because they do get an awful lot of calls for things that could be done easily online. So people looking for their national insurance number, just asking what their PAYE code is, changing their address, those kind of things. You know, they do get millions and millions of calls, mostly from taxpayers. HMRC does acknowledge that this shift is more to do with taxpayers than it is with agents. But, there, you know, HMRC has made it very clear that if it can't reduce phone and post contact by something like 30% uh, by the end of this year compared to 2021, that is the only way it is going to be able to restore its service standards. The staff numbers have reduced uh, by about 20 to 24% since tw- in the last five years. HMRC's budget is going down by a billion. So HMRC does need to achieve significant channel shift. I have a list of all the gaps and issues with HMRC service standards, which is doing the rounds with H- within HMRC, but it's it just seems to be so difficult to to get those changes. You know, we keep getting messages from HMRC to say, oh, people go online, go online. We all know, and agents in particular know, that there's so many things that can't be done online. HMRC services, they're not comprehensive. They're not always easy to find. And there really does need to be very significant investment in in, in digital services. I and mean, we've asked members a lot as to where the gaps are. So I think they're all fairly well established now. But things like being able to have some sort of secure electronic communication, even if email isn't the answer, some sort of something that it, a secure equivalent. Clearly, there's a lot been going on in HMRC customer services. But what specifically needs to change? Simple things like agents being able to request changes to tax codes. There's no digital service for that at the moment. Withdraw tax returns. All There's some really basic things that can't be done online. And HMRC really does need to step up and, and actually provide decent services. So what can people do to help, help ease the pressure of HMRC? Well... I'm not sure that there's a lot that agents can do, but I do think as a tax profession as a whole, I think we should be encouraging as many people as possible to download the HMRC app. I think we are getting to the point that even if somebody is represented, the time has come that everybody needs to set themselves up with access to their digital tax account because there are going to be things that need to be done, done there. The best hook is national insurance because there's really good information on the national insurance history and what your state pension forecast is. And we are sure that coming very soon is actually going to be a fully electronic method of paying voluntary class three uh, national insurance contributions, which will be a significant thing. So it is well worth everybody really encourage clients, friends, family, everybody, you know, to, you know, to, to actually think think the app first because it is slowly and steadily improving. Yeah, and national insurance, of course, with uh, Class 2 going from April, that's going to be a key one for self-employed people to check that their records are... Absolutely, another reason. Thank you. Yeah, another reason why people need to have that app because if you're not paying the Class 2, you need to be 
doubly sure that you're actually getting a credit for the year. So Frank, what's ICAW been doing to try and improve things for our members? Well, that's a good question, Lindsay. I mean, Caroline has been an absolute Trojan in this area, I have to say. But we have been trying to hold HMRC to account in this area for quite some time. And it's a number one concern of our members from the postbag. I mean, Caroline and others are getting emails um, about this every single day and every meeting we go to members. So, I mean, we've been putting out press releases. We have had our CEO, Michael Itzer, putting out um, press comments on it. And every single forum that we have with HMRC, it's like front and centre, isn't it? So we are doing as much as we can. And indeed, you know, we're also working very closely with a number of the other professional bodies on it. I suppose I would just say that, you know, we obviously saw the evidence from HMRC with the um, Treasury Committee, or was it the Public Accounts Committee there just before Christmas, where you just listen to it and demand is going up and resources are falling. I mean, it just seems to be an unsustainable position. And, you know, the comments we're getting are that it's going to get worse before it gets better, which is really concerning. And I think we've got to carry on holding HMRC's feet to the fire. And I think the other comment I'd just make is there doesn't ever appear to be a plan B. You know, this is the plan and we're somehow going to meet it. But on the basis of, you know, if past performance is a guide to the future, I think from our side, um, we're seriously concerned that that they won't. And a lot seems to be held on channel shift, achieving that shift from speaking to a person to going online and acting for yourself. How reasonable is that? What do taxpayers need? Tax is a bit different to, if you like, other organisations seeking to engage digitally in the sense that you have legal obligations um, and if you don't meet them, you're potentially open to penalties or interest. You know, both taxpayers and agents, there's that fear factor. Um, They want reassurance that that they've got it right and it's not something that you do every day or every week so you know you're you're not going to be it's not like checking your banking app which you might do every day or every week that's not going to happen with tax whatever might be in hmrc's dreams we're a long way from that i think aren't we yeah that's why in some cases a lot of people do still need a tax agent which probably brings us nicely on to regulation and specifically of tax advisors, which is your topic, Frank. So Frank, what are the issues we're likely to be hearing about in 2024? Well, that's a very interesting question there, Lindsay. I think the starting point is that you don't have to be affiliated to a professional body to actually be a tax agent and interact with HMRC. Anyone, literally anybody can set themselves up without any knowledge of taxation. I mean, there's all sorts of stories about um, people doing exactly that. But I think my favourite one was, in fact, Caroline, your predecessor in the role, Philippa Stedman, who had um, people in her street in Wimbledon who were Australians over on visas. And she said to them, so, you know, what are you going to be doing? I'm going to be becoming a VAT consultant, was the reply, to which her response, naturally enough, was... Um, Uh, So what do you know about VAT? And the answer was, I don't know anything about VAT. But the fact is, anybody can set themselves up 
as a tax consultant agent that's problematic when we have a system which is potentially people who can't actually give the necessary you know qualities of a tax agent i mean hmrc have had this well since 2016 have had the standard for agents of course um which they expect um agents to follow it's sort of it's like peace the professional conduct in relation to taxation light i would say but i think the trouble is that there's no requirements in it it's expectation and and you know there are various things hmrc could do but effectively it doesn't have any teeth i would say it lacks enforceability and there's no requirement for instance to have professional indemnity insurance I mean, HMRC's stats, not that we've seen any real stats, of course, are that about 30 to 35% of agents who are registered with them appear to be unaffiliated to a professional body. But as we all know, a lot of the problem areas that we're seeing seem to be in that sector, not exclusively. I think it's, you know, we have to admit, have to recognise that. But areas like contractor loans, R&D, repayment agents, um, umbrella companies the list is quite long isn't it and we seem to see lots of problems in those areas as you know and it pretty much came to a head with seramius morty's report which has you know was already december 2019 so it's now already some time ago but one of his recommendations was that there should be greater oversight of the tax profession and possibly including regulation and really, you know, that can has been sort of being kicked around ever since. And Frank, we've already had a few consultations. Can you talk us through those? We had a, a call for evidence back in, it was now March 2020, just as the pandemic was starting. Then the following year, we had um, another consultation on potential compulsory professional indemnity insurance and also the definition of tax advice. The government obviously decided in its response, which was November 2021, that it wouldn't proceed with compulsory PII, um, but would look to introduce a possibly a, regu- a further consultation on regulation. So here we are in... Two the, years on, yeah. we still haven't seen yeah. that consultation. Well, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, we wrote, I've, I've got a, you know, the letter we wrote to the FS Financial Secretary to the Treasury back in February 2022 about all of this. And here we are almost, again, two years on even from that. And we haven't seen anything. But the mood music we are getting is that that's going to change, that we're going to have a consultation in the first quarter of this year and that is likely to contain proposals or you know certainly a direction of travel that's looking at greater regulation effectively of the tax professions. One area where we have had some action is in respect of repayment agents and that's partly because of the disruption that they can cause on HMRC's ability to, to deliver customer service. Caroline, do you want to talk a little bit around what yeah, what's happened I mean, there? There have been some quite significant changes there. I mean, it started with deeds of assignment, which um, a deed of assignment, oh, dates back to prop- 1920s property law. But it, what it actually means is that you are assigning a repayment in formal legal terms to the to the individual and it's it's different from a nomination which is simply saying 
please pay this money to a third party. As a nomination can be revoked unilaterally at any time, whereas a a deed of assignment can only be revoked by mutual agreement between the uh, taxpayer and the third party. So the first action we saw, which I think pretty well everybody welcomed, was to stop deeds of assignment. The next step that HMRC is taking is to make sure that agents submitting paper repayment claims, so we're talking about the sort of mass market of P87s, uh, marriage allowance claim forms, things like that, the agent will have to quote their agent reference number on those forms. HMRC has also taken a lot of steps on repayments of tax on interest on PPI claims and actually paused processing those for a period at the end of last year and is now actually requiring the PPI paperwork before it will look at the repayment yeah. claim. So it's so really, slowed, really slowed those yeah. down and actually required very specific evidence. Repayment agents have, though, been successful in plugging a gap because a lot of people don't realise that they're entitled to claim back their tax. So how do we address that? If it, you know, HMRC is trying to tackle it, aren't they, as an issue? But the issue is partly awareness, isn't it? There does need to be a lot more done on making people aware of the release to which they are entitled and how they claim them. And it's back to what we were talking about earlier, is that the, the digital services need to be much more comprehensive and easy to find and all, all joined together. And I think when we get to the point that actually everything is in one place, then I think it, we will start to see people becoming much more familiar and much more interested in checking their tax affairs. And Frank... You know, they also have a place in the market in terms of doing things at relatively low cost, but professional indemnity insurance is another cost. Should we just pick up again on on that and why HMRC rejected the idea of everyone holding professional indemnity insurance? I mean, as we all know, if you're a member of a reputable professional body, it's a requirement to have professional indemnity insurance, PII, so we were actually supported it in principle as an idea, um, but the insurance industry certainly were not keen on it. But in, in the end, the government did reject it. Um, and, and I think there were three main reasons. The first one being that the government thought that the consumer protection element of PII was actually quite weak. They also thought that um, it was unlikely to work as a mechanism for removing the riskiest tax advisors from the market, which is probably true because we all know that these actors or bad actors don't seem to be completely impervious to almost anything you try and do to stop them. And thirdly, but I think importantly, there was a serious worry that premiums would actually rise for all tax advisors because that's the way the insurance market would work. And in fact, they've been rising anyway, as, as I understand it, quite significantly without, you know, those sorts of changes. Um, so I think those were all the reasons why they rejected them. But the fact is that if we go into a, a model which had greater sort of regulation or everybody had to be a member of, say, a professional body, then you, they would have to have PII anyway. So, you know, to some extent... It's not gone away because it, it will have to happen if we move to, to a, if you like, a more regulated environment. Can you just give me an idea of ICAW's position on regulation? You know, where we are at the moment is that 
we certainly need better data on which to make decisions. We we don't really have a good handle on data as to the performance of agents. And without good data, as we know, you can't really make good evidence-based decisions. So I think we're in a position that um, we need better data. But, but I think more importantly than that, you know, what actually is the problem we're trying to solve and will regulation solve those problems. Caroline has just highlighted very clearly the problems in the repayment agent sector, where effectively we're already having to introduce new new sets of rules to deal with that. So, you know, is regulation the answer to that? I'm not sure from evidence that we've seen elsewhere in the world, for instance Australia, that regulation actually would solve the sorts of problems that we've often been seeing, if you like, outside uh, of the affiliated sector. And, and we all know the people acting in these areas do seem to operate um, and continue to operate no matter how many rules and regulations you throw at them. And, and I think the other thing is that, and this again is where tax is a bit different, I think, is it could have perverse, you could end up with perverse policy outcomes. Because the fact is, if you introduce a regulatory regime, as we know, costs will go up. And at what point do you reach whereby tax advice becomes too expensive for many taxpayers with the result that they'll just do it themselves? HMRC did have some evidence that actually just having a tax advisor did help improve compliance, although I've never actually seen any hard data on that. So it's actually a very difficult question to get right. And I think it will take years before we saw any sort of clear regulatory model emerging, I guess. And there'll probably need to be a transitional period as well. If we have a direction of travel set, I think, you know, even if we have an election or a change of government, that would, we're then likely to see that continuing, I would say. I think there's going to be a lot happening in 2024. Whether or not we'll see something on regulation, we'll have to wait and see. Whether or not we'll see improvements in HMRC customer services, we can only keep our fingers crossed, can't we? But one thing is certain, we are likely to have an election and therefore a very exciting year in tax. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to Caroline and Frank for your contributions and thanks for listening. If you've missed anything, we've included some links for further reading in the show notes. And if you found it useful, then don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can rate and share the podcast too. We'll be back next month with the next tax track. In the meantime, why not check out the sister podcast from ICAW? Insights provides analysis across the world of business, finance and accountancy, while our In Focus series offers more of a deep dive into various topics. If you're not already a member of ICAW's tax faculty, remember that ICAW members can join the faculty for no additional cost. Faculty members receive our monthly tax line bulletin, in addition, anyone can subscribe to receive our weekly tax wire bulletin containing the latest tax news from ICAW. Thanks for listening. Music